Hey, guys. Oh, man. So I, I appreciate the warm welcome this morning as I'm walking up the steps to the stairs and all I'm hearing is, no! So thank you. I, uh, I miss you guys too. I'm glad to be back here. Um, so what we saw play out on the stage this morning, maybe some of you guys picked up on it. Who was, uh, who was Buddy the Bath Giver? Who is that in the Bible? Shout it out if you know it. John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, the one who was sent to, to make the way for the Lord, right? So John the Baptist, when he was baptizing people um, in repentance, they were repenting from their sins. He was baptizing them and he was pointing towards Jesus who was going to come. He was pointing towards this Messiah, this chosen one, the pup is what we call it in the skits up here. And he was talking about this, this Messiah who was going to come and was going to save God's people. And then one day when he's down by the river, he's baptizing and Jesus shows up. And who knows, what, what does John the Baptist say as Jesus approaches? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what we see in that instance is we see that many of John's followers, uh, John the Baptist's followers, they begin following Jesus from that day forward. They become followers of Jesus, not just followers of John, because John was there to point them towards Jesus. And what we saw today is we saw how did John know that Jesus was coming? Did you catch it? He said it's written all over his book. And that's what we're going to see today. See, last night, we started out by talking about the standard of objective truth, right? We started by talking about this idea that in order for anything to be true, there has to be a standard. That has to be something we measure it against. And we said that the standard of truth is the true God who made everything, who rules and reigns over everything. He is truth itself. He declares what is true. But here's the thing. See, God is not just some truth floating out there. God reveals truth to us. It's not that God is true and we're just sitting here trying to guess what is true. The, the powerful truth of the Bible is that God reveals truth to us. He shows us what is true. He reveals himself to us. He lets us know who he is and what he's like. And he does that in a couple of different ways. There are a few different ways that God reveals himself. One way that God reveals himself and shows himself to us is through nature. That's one thing that's so fun about outdoor education is over the next few days, you guys, as you study things like natural habitat, as you study uh, physics, even aeronautics, things like that, you, what you're going to see is how God shows himself through his creation. As we walk around a beautiful place like Hume, we see the, the incredible giant trees, we see the, the beautiful uh, views, we look out over the lake and the mountains and, and all of the, the beauty and the grandeur and the glory of all of it, it all points towards the God who made it. We see this in Romans chapter one. In Romans chapter one, we're told that God has revealed himself in nature in a way that everyone who has ever lived, who has ever walked on the face of this earth, knows at least two things about God. 
They know that he is real and that he is God, and they know that he is powerful. Because we all know that inherently just by walking around in the world around us. Now, some of us suppress that truth. We push it down. We lie to ourselves. But deep down in the core of our being, we know that God is real and that he is powerful because God has shown that to us all over the entire world around us. In Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. The whole world around us bears the fingerprints of the potter who made it, and that is God. So we see it all in the world around us. It's revealed in nature. We also see that God has revealed himself, shown himself to us in the person of Jesus. We talked about this a little bit last night. John 1:18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. We haven't seen God with our eyes, but Jesus Christ took on flesh, walked around on the earth. Thousands of people saw him and heard him, and he has made God known by his life. So God reveals himself in nature. He reveals himself in Christ. But here's the thing. How do we know about Jesus? I mean, we're not living 2,000 years ago. I don't think any of you are, are quite that old. Your counselors aren't. Don't make fun of them and say that they are. I didn't give you that idea, right? So, We're not walking around 2,000 years ago, so how do we know about God? Well, we see it in nature. We see it in the person of Jesus, but how do we know about the person of Jesus? How do we know about his life? Well, Jesus is what we call the incarnate word of God, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word took on flesh. That is Jesus. He's the incarnate. That means in flesh, Word of God, but the way that we know about the incarnate Word of God is by reading the written Word of God. See, as God reveals Himself, as He shows Himself to us, He does it through nature, He does it through Christ. But the clearest revelation that we have of what God is like, of who He is, of of what He thinks and what He says, the clearest revelation we have of that is in this book is the revelation of Scripture. And what we saw in just a little bit in that skit today is that the Scriptures testify to Christ. I want to show you a few things in the book of John where we see them understanding who Jesus is, realizing that Jesus is God in the flesh on the basis of the Word of God, on the basis of Scripture. So we'll be quick through this. In John chapter 1, John 1, verses 40 through 42, it says this. One of the two heard John speak and followed, and one of the two uh, who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. So this is one of uh, John's followers, who heard John speak about Jesus, started following Jesus, and he went to his brother Peter, and he said, we have found the Messiah. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So he found Jesus, and the first thing he said is he went to his brother and said, we have found the Messiah. Now that word Messiah, it's the same word as Christ. It's just in a a different language. He's saying we found the chosen one, the one who was going to come and going to save us, the one that God's going to send. We found the pup, 
right? The one that, that, that God is going to send, the master is going to send to save us, we found him. Well, if they found him, what does that mean? It means they were looking for him. And how were they looking for him? How did they know to look? They knew the Messiah was coming because the word of God had proclaimed that the Messiah was coming. We see it again in John chapter 4. In John 4, I'm going to read 24 through 26. It says this, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is Jesus uh, talking to a Samaritan woman. She says this, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She knows the Messiah is coming. Then listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. We continue on in John chapter 5. We see this again, John 5, uh, verse 37. Jesus himself is talking here, and he says this, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness to me. So Jesus is talking to unbelievers, to, to Pharisees here. And he's saying, the Father sent me. The Father sent me, but you've never heard his word. You've never seen his face. But if his word, his written word, was abiding in you, if you knew it, if you believed it, then you would trust that I am who I say I am because all of that, all of the Old Testament, all of that scripture points towards me. It says it bears witness about me. And so... What we see is way back then when Jesus was walking the earth, as people were coming into contact with him, they realized who he was on the basis of what? On the basis of God's word. It was because God had spoken, because it had been written down in scripture that they knew that this Messiah was coming. And here's the truth, guys. God continues to reveal himself to us through his word. Just as he revealed himself to people way back then through his word, he continues to reveal himself to us through his word. Now, there are people today who will say that they, they might call themselves red-letter Christians. If you have a Bible um, that's a red-letter Bible, my Bible's a red-letter Bible. I don't know if you can see that from down there. But these red letters, what do they mean? Jesus is talking. So people will say, I'm a red letter Christian. It's really, it's really just about Jesus and the rest of it is all just extra, but it's all just about Jesus. What's the problem with that? Well, first of all, while the red letters are the things that Jesus said while he was on the earth, every letter in this book is the word of God. So Jesus also said this, even though it's in black letters. You know how I know Jesus said this? Because Jesus is God, and this is the word of God, right? And so the red letters might be a little bit helpful to, to understand what Jesus was actually saying with his mouth when he was walking around on the earth, but the whole book is the word of God. 
And also, if we're people who say, I don't need all that Bible stuff, I don't need all that, I just, I just, I'm just gonna follow Jesus, I'm just gonna do what Jesus says, I'm just gonna follow him, I'm just gonna have a relationship with Jesus, and I don't need to know what the words of the Bible are, what's the problem with that? How do you know who Jesus is? How do you know who Jesus is? How do you know what he's like? How do you know what he loves? How do you know what he hates? You know it because he's shown it to you in his word in scripture. The idea that we can have this relationship with Jesus that doesn't involve the Bible at all is like the idea that you can have a best friend who you've never spoken a word to. It doesn't make any sense. If we, if we fast forward a few years, uh, we'll, say, we'll say like, five years for you guys, all right? And ladies, if, if, if one of the guys comes up and says, hey, I want to take you out on a date. This is five years from now. It's not now. Don't date. Anyway, um, says, hey, I want to take you out on a date, but here's the deal. I want to take you out to a nice, fancy dinner at the Olive Garden. And we're going we're gonna to get unlimited soup, salad, and breadsticks. It's going to be wonderful and romantic. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't want you to ever speak we're going to go, we're going to get a lovely dinner, I'll pay. But I don't want you to ever open your mouth. I don't want to hear uh, what you like. I don't want to hear what you don't like. I don't want to hear what you think about the world. I don't want to hear what your, your deepest desires and loves and hopes and dreams and aspirations are. I don't want to hear any of that. I just want to, to just, just have a relationship. Not, not like words and, and stuff about you. I just want to have just this, I just, want to, I just want to know you, not anything about you. So you don't need to talk. Ladies, what would your response to that? No, no, get out of here. Why? Why? Because that's not how relationships work, is it? No, of course not. I love my wife. I love my wife, and because I love my wife, I want to know more about my wife. I want to know what, what she loves, what she, what she hates. I want to know her hopes, her dreams, her fears. I want to know everything I can know about her because I love her, and I want a relationship. I want our relationship to grow deeper. And so I want to know. I want to talk with her. Well, guys, if we want to know the truth about God, if we want to know who he really is, then we need to open up the word of God and we need to read the truth of God. To know the truth, we need to read the truth. And the truth of God has been revealed to us, yes, in nature, absolutely in the person and work of Jesus, but the clearest revelation of the truth of God for us today is through the words of Scripture. It is in the Bible. So, what are we to believe about the Bible? What do we think about the Bible? What is this book? How do we understand it? I want to give you guys just three things, three truths about the truth of Scripture. All right? So, three things. The first is that the Bible is true. The first is that the Bible is true. So in the book of 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, All scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in 
righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All of scripture is breathed out by God. Now remember yesterday, we talked about the fact that God is not only the only true God, but that everything he says is true. And more than just true, everything he says is truth itself. It is the standard by which all other truth claims are to be measured. So when we talk about scripture, we need to start with the understanding that this book and its original writings and its original languages, this book is 100% true because it is the word of God. It is breathed out by him. The Bible is an incredible book. Part of the reason it's an incredible book is because it's actually not just one book, it's how many? 66. 66 different books written by over 40 different writers in locations separated by hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of miles over a period of over 1,500 years. Now, sometimes you say things like that 1,500 years ago. Oh, yeah, that's a long time. No, no, stop and think about that. 1,500 years ago, 1,500 years ago, America wasn't here, right? 1,500 years ago, they didn't have electricity, not even close. 1,500 years ago, um, there, there weren't even like knights in shining armor yet, okay? That's how long 1,500 years ago was. The Bible, from the first book that was written to the last book that was written, which coincidentally are more or less the first book and the last book at the front and back of your Bible, there's a span of over 1,500 years. 66 different books, over 40 authors, 1,500 years, different places, different cultures, different backgrounds, and yet this entire book tells one story. This entire book is perfectly coherent from the first page to the last page. It does not contradict itself. In fact, what we see is we see things that start near the beginning come to fruition at the end. We see these incredible through lines. And the more you read this book and the more you understand it, the more connections you see between events that happened 1,500 years later and events that happened 1,500 years before and everywhere in between. This book is incredibly internally coherent. It makes sense with itself, but that's not all. See, we know the Bible is true because, first of all, first and foremost, it says that it's true. But we also know that it's true because of that internal coherence. We also know that it's true because of prophecy. The Bible is full of prophecies in the Old Testament, things that would come to pass, and then they do come to pass later. There's one that's... um, absolutely incredible, kind of mind-boggling. In Isaiah chapter 53, we're not going to turn there now, but if you write it down, I would encourage you to turn there during jam time and read it. Isaiah chapter 53 speaks very clearly about Jesus. We call it sometimes the suffering servant passage. And it talks about this, this servant who is going to come And it says that God will lay on him the iniquity of us all. He will be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And it describes in pretty specific detail Jesus. And then 700 years later, everything that Isaiah 53 happened, everything that Isaiah 53 said would happen, it happens in the life of Jesus. And the writers of the New Testament, they say, look, 
Here it is. This happened. Jesus really fulfilled this prophecy from 700 years ago. And it was so incredible and mind-blowing. The people who didn't believe the Bible, do you know what they said? They said, all right, well, Isaiah 53 That couldn't have actually been in the Bible. Someone must have added that in later after Jesus lived and died. They must have gone back in and added in that chapter so that they could say, hey, look, that was there. And so 50, 60 years ago, there was this whole movement of people saying Isaiah 53 isn't supposed to be in the Bible. It was added in later uh, because there's no way that it could accurately predict all those things that would happen with Jesus. But then do you know what happened? Well, there was a, a teenager playing by the shores of the Dead Sea, and he threw a rock into a cave, and they heard some, some pottery shattering. So then they went into that cave. Do you know what they found? They found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in those Dead Sea Scrolls, there's a scroll that is the book of Isaiah that dates back to before the life of Christ. So a copy of the book of Isaiah that has been around since before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And do you know what they found in that book of Isaiah from before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, they found, they found Isaiah 53. They found the prophecy of Jesus's death from before he was even born. What does that show us? It shows us that prophecy is true, and the only way that that can be a reality is if this book is whose word? God's. If this book is God's word. So we see internal coherence. We see prophecy. We also see archaeology. Archaeology, manuscript evidence. There's all kinds of things that the Bible will talk about that we don't have in other kind of history books. And so people who don't believe the Bible, they go, ah, well, that's probably made up. I don't really know about that. But then do you know what happens? And this has happened time and time again. They'll be digging somewhere in Israel and they'll pull up a stone or something like that and it'll show us exactly what the Bible said. For instance, up here we have Justice. And who is Justice in the Bible? This, uh, this judge up here, was that his name? Brutus, that's his name, not Justice. Brutus. Pilate, Pontius Pilate. Well, for centuries, hundreds of years, the only reference to Pontius Pilate was in the Bible. But then do you know what happened not so long ago? I think it was in the 70s, the 1970s. They were digging in Israel and they found a plaque that talked about the Roman governor whose name was Pontius Pilate, once again confirming the truth of this book, and it's happened time and time and time again. On top of that, we have more copies of the manuscripts of the Bible than there are copies of Shakespeare, all right? We know that this book is true, primarily because it says that it's true, and also because there are heaps and heaps and heaps of evidence to its truthfulness. So that's the first thing we believe about the Bible is that it's true. The second is that the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, 14. Says this in Deuteronomy 30, 14. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, God has revealed himself in his word, in a way that every one of us can understand it. The word of God is not far off. In order to know who God is, in order to know what is true, you don't have to take off your shoes and climb up a mountain in the Himalayas and live as a monk up the top of that mountain for 50 years in complete and total silence in order to transcend and understand the truth of God. That's not how God works. 
No, the word is very near to you. It's right here. It's been revealed in such a way that every person, regardless of their intelligence, can understand the word of God. It is not just for pastors. It's not just for Bible teachers. It's it's not just for adults. The word of God is revealed in a way that you can read it and you can understand God's truth. Now, just because it's clear doesn't mean it's easy. There are plenty of things in the Bible that are difficult to understand. It talks about this in 2 Peter 3.16. It says that there are things that are, that are difficult to understand in Scripture, and so we need to take care and we need to put in the work to understand the truth that God has revealed to us, but that it is something that every one of us can do. Even if you don't know Hebrew, even if you don't know Greek, even if you've never been to Bible college, even if you've, you know, not doing so well in your English class, you can still read and understand the Bible if you put in the work. And part of that is finding some good help. Part of that is finding a pastor, a teacher, maybe your parents, uh, if, if they know and love God's word, who can come alongside you and help you to understand scripture. So it is true, it is clear, and then finally, God's word is enough. God's word is enough. This is in Proverbs chapter 35 and 6. It says this, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. It is enough. Everything that God has chosen to reveal about himself, everything that we need to know about who God is, about who we are, about how we are to live, about how we are to be saved, about how we are to live a holy and righteous life, it is contained in this book. We don't need man-made traditions. We don't need modern theories. We don't need other books or, or some private secrets of God that he's whispered to us. We don't need those. We need this book. He has spoken, and so now what do we need to do? We need to listen. We need to listen. He has spoken his word to us. He's written it down in his book, so we need to listen. Not just hear, and not just read, but listen. Let's go back to the book of John. John chapter 18. This is Jesus standing before Pilate. In John 18, 37. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say I am a king. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He doesn't say everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. See, we need to read our Bibles, but not just read them, we need to listen to them. What does that mean? Well, Jesus talks about this also in the book of John, in John 10, 27, when he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, that's step one. Read the Bible, know what it says. It says, and I know them. And then what's step two? They follow me. See, we need to listen to the word of God. 
We need to listen to the word of God, not just read it, not just hear it, but listen to it because listening is hearing with obedience. If we're gonna be people of the truth, we need to know what it is and we know what it is by reading it, by studying it, by hiding it in our hearts, as the Bible says. We need to know what it is and we need to obey. People of the truth know, they read, and they obey. They listen to the word. Now look, guys, I, I grew up in the church probably like many of you. And I remember so many times where someone was standing up on a stage like this and telling me, you need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. But I also know what it's like to be like a 12-year-old boy and to have the attention span of a 12-year-old boy. And I know that reading the Bible doesn't sound like a fun thing. And I know that it can be difficult and it can be confusing. But here's the thing. And I want you to really understand this. The God of the universe, the God who is the standard of all truth, the God who made everything by the power of his speech, by the power of his words, who spoke the heavens and the stars and the skies and all of the earth into existence, that very same God has shown you his truth. He has spoken it and had it written down in this book. This is not just a textbook. This is not just some other book. It's not just a really great novel. This is the word of the living God. He has shown himself to you in his word. And even today, over 5,000 people a year across this planet die for this book. They give up their lives because they are so hungry for the words of God because they realize that the words of God are the words of truth and they are the words of life. They realize that if they want to live a life with true purpose, with true meaning, if they want to live a life that is everlasting, then they need to wash themselves in the word of God. They need to know who God is, what he's done and how to serve him. And the only way to know that is by reading this book. And I know it sounds like a hard task, but it is so, so important. It is worth giving our lives to and giving our lives for, and thousands of people every year give their lives for it. But you know what? You have one in your lap right now. And if you don't, we'll get you on before you walk out the door. Notice that incredible privilege that you have sitting in your lap the very word of the God who created everything, that he is showing himself to you, and all you have to do is crack it open and read. You don't even have to do that. Because if you have a phone, or I don't know if your mom does, you can download the Bible app, and it will read to you. You can just listen. Guys, the word of God is the truth of God revealed for us that we might live lives in truth, that we might be people of truth, that we might know and hear and listen and obey 
the truth of God, because that's what we were created for. So I'm not saying you need to read this cover to cover in the next week, but I'm saying crack it open, read a paragraph, read a chapter, read a whole book, because God has spoken to you, and your job is to listen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the truth that you've revealed in Scripture. God, I pray that... um, I pray that we would take that seriously, that we would realize the incredible privilege it is to know and to hear, to have access to your word. God, I pray that we would become people of the word, that we would read it every day, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would not just hear it or read it, but that we would listen to it and obey it. Father, we thank you that you show us truth. In Jesus' name, amen.